Have you ever wondered how we record the Metal Exchange? For the last three years, we've been using Zencaster for all things podcast related. And without Zencaster, the Metal Exchange wouldn't be brought to you each and every week. Now it's your turn. It's super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. Log in using your browser and start recording a high quality podcast right away. Record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of Zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. If you've thought about podcasting before and realized that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations, just like us. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code MetalExchange and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time for you to share your story. Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. This is Chris. I'm here with Justin, and we have two very special guests uh, following up our previous episode on uh, No Spoon's debut album, Opus. We have bassist Cole Millward and guitarist James Nelson. They have joined us from North Carolina to discuss the origins of this uh, new and exciting band, this uh, this very well-received album their uh, appearance at Prog Power USA next year, and uh, whatever else we happen to talk about in this uh, this conversation. But uh, before we get to that, just want to say hello to my co-host, Justin. How are you doing today, my friend? I am doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. This is something I'm really excited about. I'm, I'm very excited for not only more people to hear this band and this album, but kind of the backstory behind it, because... There's not much really known about you guys, but um, the, the album is blowing up. It's gotten rave reviews from just about everywhere we've seen. So I want to welcome you guys to the Metal Exchange. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Um, so I guess why don't we start at the very beginning? This album came out um, earlier this year, Opus. And like I said, absolutely rave reviews. Um, but before we get to May of 2023, tell us a little bit about how the band kind of came together and how you all met and, and really just the origins of this project. I think we uh, met, uh, was it the summer of 1973, 74? It was a good time. Uh, I'm surprised you remember it. Yeah, well, we age very well. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, uh, Cole right here is the band historian, so I'm going to give it to him. Fair enough. Um, yeah, the band came together, uh, when we were teenagers, uh, back in, uh, summer of 2009, um, just kind of a, a cool, uh, situation with friends and neighbors, you know, uh, we sort of had like one dude that was like a mutual friend among all of us invited most of us over to kind of jam and like write some songs and, you know, we were just teenagers playing guitar and stuff and we're like, yeah, this sounds awesome. And then um it was just such a good time we were like I, we think there's something kind of special here and uh so that that's when we started you know 
officially kicking around like being a band and everything but uh it's it's so wild because like that's so long ago now at this point and like the members are different and everything it's i guess that's just sort of like the very the very genesis of what would eventually become no spoon i guess um but definitely it looked a good bit different back then so um, and were both of you guys kind of working together at that time or you like the two founding uh the two founding members or was it just kind of your thing not technically the the band uh was originally what was it phil our current singer um who played guitar um ashton was he in the original ashton johnston was our uh our original vocalist and then uh kyle who was a, a mutual friend of ours he played guitar uh they started under a like, different name but shortly after that i think I was in, and then you were in, or was that? Oh, it was basically around yeah. the same time. When, when we say that, like, the three of them started the band, that really just means, like, they did that one week, and then the very next week, we got brought in right. as well. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so we, so we'll, 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 call you, we'll call you founding members. I think, yeah. you, I think yeah. you've earned it at this point. Essentially, um, yeah. What, what, we, so as, as, as kind of teenagers kind of just, you know, playing around and, and kind of getting started with this thing – what were your major influences? What were you listening to at the time that kind of got you into playing, you know, playing guitar and playing bass? Um, yeah, we all kind of had some slightly different influences. I know some of us were more into like some nineties, like grunge type stuff, but then, um, others of us were already getting into, um, we were, we were kind of already getting into bands like dream theater and symphony X. Um, so it really didn't take very long for us to kind of decide that like we wanted to go the route of like the, the shreddy progressive music. Um, so, I mean, there, there were definitely some other band influences that sort of crept their way in early on. Like some of the earliest songs that got written were, I, I want to say very, a lot grungier. <laughs> it was varied. We had straight up grunge. We had a, metalcore song right yeah um and then like kind of a ballad it was it was really all over the place i like personally i was really into uh classic rock i think maybe a year before uh i joined this band i started listening to dream theater um and before that my only introduction to prog was rush and kansas um and then Phil was really into like the harder edge stuff. I remember mm. like, like neither of us were quite into like, you know, the extreme vocal stuff, you know, like, like Opeth and stuff like that. We weren't quite there yet, but he was already. So it's just like this, this mishmash of just all these different things. And the, the early music did reflect that there was a, it's probably a lack of focus, but that was part of the fun of it. Will, will, we, will we be hearing a uh, demo of any of that material uh, yeah. surface? Because well, that would be well, okay. fascinating. Okay. I, I, Technically, there is a demo that exists okay. in my hard drive. If we wanted to release that <laughs> to the world, uh, we could. What are we? Are we talking old? SIQ stuff is that yeah like the first demo okay oh Jesus yeah yeah <laughs> the oldest stuff is kind of out there 
sort of available for listening if you dig like extremely extremely deep i don't even know how deep you would have to dig okay i'll I'll put okay i'll put it to you this way if if you wanted to look it up uh, um, hypothetically on hypothetically on youtube if you type in siq um and if you type in either uh till life do us part or icker or actually not Icarus, the guy who took the video misspelling called Iticus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wash away. So when you say it's hard to find, you're literally misspelling the names of your own songs oh, so that nobody finds didn't. it. This is fascinating to me. Yeah. We didn't. Yeah, it was just whoever. Well, like, there's these videos out there of us playing these songs like live very early on, and whoever was taking the video like didn't hear us correctly or something, and so they misspelled the the name of the. Um, of the songs in the video, so it's it's just sort of a funny joke to us at this point. Um, but That's, that has been bookmarked, by the way. Uh, so I'll, I'll be That's checking fine. that out in the near future. It's, uh, it's okay. question for I got a, a question for you. Um, at, at what point did you come up with the band's name, and um, and and where does the the name derive from? So fortunately, that's a much more recent development than the the really old stuff. Um, we have been through a series of different band names and uh, like lineup iterations. So when we started working on this album, like back in 2016 or something, like this album was like seven years in the making. Um, And we began working on it under a previous band name, but then a lot can happen over the course of seven years. Um, and, uh, most of the reason why it took seven years to get to that point was kind of personnel issues. Um, it it happens, you know? And so by the time we kind of like got to maybe a year before we released the album, that was when our lineup hit a steady stride. We found a lineup that we really, really liked. Um, and the, the progress just sort of shot into overdrive where it had been sort of dragging on for years. It was like, Oh, okay. This thing is, is getting done very quickly now. So, um, at that point, right around the time that we were mixing the album, like right the, the last stages of mixing and mastering, um, we were talking about like, should we even bother releasing this album under the previous name? Because like, we don't even necessarily feel like we sound like what the previous name was anymore. In case you're wondering, the previous name was Ozai. Yeah, O-Z-A-I. Mm-hmm. It was a, uh, Avatar Last Airbender reference, because we're a bunch of nerds. It felt cool at the time. <laughs> Around 2014 uh, was when we kind of uh, went under the banner of that, and we had a, a different sound than we do now. But over the years, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender became popular again on Netflix, and yeah. now there's like a rapper who goes by that and like some other various projects so if you try to look us up we would be like on the fifth page yeah (laughs) it's amazing how that happens isn't it yeah yeah so we were basically kind of like for one the project feels a little different and we thought it deserved a different name because of that and also it, it was also sort of like a we felt like we had something very special with this album and we're like okay if we want to make a real push with this we think we should do the branding kind of like as best we can. So we should start with a new name. We should have it be a name that is like easily searchable. And that like, if you do search it, you don't have to scroll to like the third or the fourth page just to find us. 
um, which honestly, the easiest way to go about that is to spell a word wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, right, right. Weird spelling and uh, and put it out there. But the name is a uh, it's a reference to the Matrix because we're all like kind of fans of uh, well, definitely like sci fi action films, but uh, the Matrix especially certainly one of one of my favorite uh, movie series. And um, and of course, there's that famous line from the first one: "There is no spoon." Um, and that that line has been the source of many sort of inside jokes in the band over time. And so we were kind of like, uh, yeah, this works. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> um, little bit of the band humor just coming out in the name, you know? Nice. And where, did, and, and talk to me a little bit about the concept for the album and really where did the idea come from and how did the, uh, how did it change potentially over time? Because obviously when you take, um, a long time to do a creative piece like this, I'm sure there's evolution and different changes that go on over time. Totally. Y'all are, <laughs> y'all are giving me all the questions that, that I'm the, the, uh, the, Get I don't comfy. know, the good one to answer. Get very comfy. <laughs> ah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it, I'll keep it fairly concise. Um, the, the concept for it, um, as sort of like, I don't know, passe and contrite as it may sound, did come to me in a dream. <laughs> it was, no kidding. Uh, okay. um, just during the particular time of my life that I was in, um, I was having some particularly uh, like late nights or whatever. And so uh, when I, when I was sleeping, I was sleeping really super hard um, and probably snoring or something that, that must be where all this come from is the lack of oxygen to my brain was making me like have these really <laughs> vivid dreams or something. And uh, this one particular night, I just had this weird, crazy dream uh, of a a very, like, odd story um, that sort of loosely resembles what eventually became the album. Like, we didn't stick to exactly that because dreams are weird and they don't follow a narrative. And so, uh, but I I remember waking up from that and being like, oh, shoot, that's like a really cool story idea. I just, you know, like, typed up the the basics of it on my phone and then went back to sleep. Um, And um, we were right about the time where we were prepared to start writing another album, um, like from aside from like our, our prior stuff. And um, I was like, well, Hey, you know, we've, we've, we haven't done a concept album yet. And that's kind of like the prog thing to do. So uh, what if we did a concept album and Oh, by the way, here's this story idea that I have. And uh, I, I basically approached it as like, um, I'm going to turn this story into an album. If y'all want that album, cool. If you don't, I'll, I'll do a solo album with it <laughs> or something like there that. You go. Everyone was kind of like, nah, yeah, sounds good. So, um, and then, so that's, that's sort of where the, the story concept came from. The, the music really sort of originated with James. Um, yeah. Um, uh, around 2014. So a couple years before we, before this album was even mentioned, um, I started learning how to record myself. So I would spend late nights, uh, like the, those kind of nights where you you start at like 12 a.m. and then you blink and then it's 5 a.m. Um, and I just started coming up with these, these demos uh, that were mostly intros or like maybe half of songs. Um, and many of those songs actually made it on the album itself like i believe implosion overture was originally called lydia the death of simpson was called the mire 
uh, what was the other one? And then there was one was called something dumb. I'm sure. Awaken. Awaken. Yeah. That's cliche. <laughs> um, and like, uh, within the realm of possibility. So I, I already had all these ideas that I want. Thank you. Yep. You're such a good friend um, that I wanted to use. And I guess I was lucky that Cole was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Let's do that. So um, not like a good portion of the songs were already started before we actually started writing the album. Yeah. And then it was just kind of a matter of like figuring out the, like with this story, figuring out the the chapter sort of layout, like what are the major plot points and what of those demos that James had already recorded fit sort of each of these different chapters or, or what could be taken apart and rebuilt and reused for a different chapter um, or something like that. So uh, honestly, like what's really cool about it is the the concept and the demos all sort of originated from this very similar time frame, And so everything kind of grew together like it's it's not like we we wrote a whole album's worth of music with no like lyrical intention in mind and then just sort of sort of started shoehorning lyrics in everything happened Mm -hmm. at the same time and um like as we would develop each individual song james would sort of frequently ask the question of like what is happening narratively at this point because whatever is happening narratively musically it needs to fit that vibe and uh, we, there were, there was a lot of music that got like unwritten because we found, we later found, felt yeah. that like, uh, yeah, this section doesn't fit narratively. We need to redo this until it works. So it was borderline psychopathic, like literally just like a note. Like we had, to, we had to change like just notes at a time to make it what we wanted it to be. Yeah. Not, no. not to like, uh, just parrot that same sort of, you know, perfectionist thing that a whole bunch of musicians say or whatever, but we really did basically comb through this album note by note, word by word, literally every single part of it to make sure that it was that, that. So, so, so the story of on this album could be the creation of this album. Oh man, you have no idea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, I, yeah. and, and I'm sure we'll go into more detail about the uh, the narrative itself, but it, it sounds like the creation of the album ha- like has a lot to do with what went into the story as well. There is a lot of sort of meaning in the story that definitely is sort of a connection to our process of creating the album. And what's what's absolutely crazy is some of that meaning we didn't really realize was there until after the album was done. Yeah. And we're listening through wow. and hearing these lyrics and we're like, wow, this this actually feels like it relates even more than we intended it to. Well, not even that, but like I remember the first time I listened to it all the way through with, with almost the final mix. And by the time I got to the end, like I felt like the character in the story, like I felt like, you know, I won essentially. Like I know Cole had a tear in his eye. Oh, we we have I cried. Believe it. Which to the saying that out loud <laughs> feels weird. Hey, listen, 
I appreciate your candor, but I think that it's obvious by, by, by what you created because I, a couple of weeks ago, we had done an episode. It was a bonus episode for our Patreon, but we had covered dream theaters that changes seasons. And one of the points that I made was that Mike Portnoy clearly had painstaking efforts to make sure that every single note for all the instruments was just done to absolute perfection happens to be my favorite song. But I say that to say, you can see how much like, effort went into it. You, I mean, it's, it's just obvious the way it's produced, the way that there, you know, every snare hit, everything about that album was just meticulously crafted, but I got the same sense from this album, which by the way, for a self-produced album, which I have to assume that, you know, you were recording yourselves, the mix is fantastic. Like, like surprisingly good for, for, for a bunch of guys that I have to assume um, were on a limited budget for their first, you know, full length release. Mm-hmm. And and thank you. That was all my work. Uh, yes. I am the producer well, and had, engineer. I wanted and, to make sure we could bring you into the fold and and, and get well, you as, as well. You bit, should. So I, I mean, yeah, well, you should be obligated to. <laughs> you know, I really am so talented and such a big deal. No, this this guy right right here. Um, <laughs> he's our ace in the hole. Yep, yep. I'm already blushing. He is. So, um. Yeah, we uh, we we self produced this. We've we've been sort of uh, recording ourselves um, since uh, kind of around the the time frame that, that James mentioned earlier, around that 2013, 2014 um, time period. Because um, to to run like all the way back to those that earliest iteration of the band, we did what you know sort of every new band does: write an album, eventually try to find a studio to record it in. We found something kind of local and the result was less than thrilling Um, Mm. because you just, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to communicate the vision. Sometimes it's, it's a budget thing. It was definitely a budget thing. Cause I mean, we were were teenagers at the time. What kind of budget? It it was partially all our fault. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We were still cutting our teeth on it and everything, but after that sort of disappointment, um, we sort of got it in our heads that we're like, well, who's, who's going to accomplish the vision of like the sound that we want better than we will. And of course, like big words, because you don't exactly just go pick up pro tools and immediately know how to mix a record. Um, I'll, I'll say like, I mean, from that time point or time frame all the way up to now is like the amount of time that it took for me to learn how to mix a record like this. Like I've, I've been, you know, mixing and stuff and I've get, been getting better. I, I get better at it year by year and everything. Um, but we knew with this record pretty early on, just the same sort of perfectionist mentality that we had about the writing of it, that it had to sound perfect to our ears. Like essentially we were just sort of like tired of being a local band. If you will, we were tired of having the sound of a local band. Uh, We, we just didn't want this record to have that effect that happens where like you either play like one of our songs first and then like uh, a major artist, commercial artist or whatever, have their song come up. uh, And all of a sudden there's just this drastic, jump in quality or worse the other way around where you're listening to the commercial artist first and then us afterwards and just like the volume goes down right 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 less punchy everything's more harsh and and tubby sounding and everything this needed to be like 
you can listen to some of the greatest mixes coming out of the metal world right now and then ours right afterward and not be able to like and not skip a beat like just feel like it it sits right there and the i mean i think that the haken comparisons are obviously very apt but you can't for for my money the production and and they have obviously blown up i remember when their debut album came out and and you know it's it seems like it was yesterday but their their they their rise has been meteoric in many ways but in terms of the sound quality of their record and yours you can't tell the difference because both of them have just like the epitome of, of, of good prog production or good modern progressive metal production. Mm-hmm. Part of that is helped by the fact that like, while we worked on this record, I mean, the, the year that we started working on it, um, Haken's affinity came out and we were, we were rocked to our core. We love that album so much. Yeah. Um, Two years after that, while we were still working on this record, uh, Vector came out. <laughs> and then two years after that, while we were still working on this record, Virus came out. And especially for me, Vector and Virus, for a very specific reason, those those two hold a very special place in my heart. Because, um, I mean, I, I feel like we're probably not surprising anyone here. Like, Haken is one of my favorite bands to listen to. I had no idea. I couldn't <laughs> tell. But my favorite mixing engineer is adam nolly get good uh former bassist from periphery um in my opinion his mixes are untouchable like everything that that he mixes has like it just sits right with me the kick drum just jumps out of the the speakers the right way the snare drum just i always say it feels like it takes my head off like i just love that production so much and so to have two records where it's like musically one of my favorite bands mixed by one of my favorite artists. Those two records are very special to me. And so for me, it was, I, by the time we hit, uh, by the time Haken released virus, that was around the time that we were kind of like wrapping up recording, getting into the mixing stage. And I was like, for me, this is the one to beat. I need our mix to be, I need you to be able to play a song from virus and then go into a song from ours and I need ours to sound as good, if not better. And I don't know if I quite accomplished the better, but I know from being able to go from like, cause I, I referenced like back and forth, uh, a bunch of different records that I, that I really like the sound of. And, and I, I made absolutely certain by the time it was done mastering that you can play one and then the other and not skip a beat. So, um, so I'm, I'm very, uh, honored and, and touched to hear that, you know, to other people's ears that we've accomplished that. Absolutely. I, it was one of the first things I noticed just listening to the album was, and I think I had mentioned it in the, the previous episode is that like, it's like one of the best sounding debut albums I've ever heard. Like it's just, you would think that this was like a bunch of guys who'd been doing this for, for years. It's so polished for, something so brand new. And, and I think that uh, there's a reason that so many people just gravitated towards it immediately. And, and, you know, uh, our, you know, our friend and co-promoter of prog power, Milton heard it and he just knew like, you know, uh, he, his words were, you know, to paraphrase, I want to be on the ground floor for this, what, you know, rise that he, I think he's foreseeing, you know, mm-hmm. speaking of Haken, they also, 
were the first band to play uh, on a night at Prague Power many years ago. They were the opening band on uh, Saturday night one year. So um, you're, you're, you're following in, in good footsteps, I think. But uh, yeah, I, I echo everything Justin said just about the quality of, of the production and, and, um, and the musicianship as well. It's, 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 you know, the, it's so, um, it's 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 this really intense and complicated music style but it it comes across in a very um for, uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh accessible sort of way because i'm you know me and justin always joke like he's the prog guy and i'm the power guy and so like the prog albums usually are a little bit more of a challenge for me or at least i have to listen to them more to really let like really let it in i listened to opus six times in the last week and it was like jesus (laughs) my god it was like yeah it was like the fifth and sixth times that i listened to it where all of a sudden like you know it just became clear to me like oh shit like here we go like this is you know like and mind you a lot of times when I'm listening to music, I'm working and like and not always be able to focus on it. But the last time I listened, I like sat down, headphones on, TV off, just me and the lyrics, which I haven't done since I was probably a teenager. Like that's how I used to listen to music because I used to have time. And so uh, it, just to be able to just ingest it and, and just it was an amazing experience. And, and so for me to really uh, glom onto an album like this is, is it's that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse or at least just my preferred genre is I think a compliment. So I, I would just like to point that out to you guys. Thank you. Oh yeah, totally. I so think we, 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 we have um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, please. Oh, I was, I was going to say, we have been noticing from uh, comments on our, our Facebook and, and other places, like someone will say, you know, I usually listen to like brutal death metal, but I really love this album. I'm like, man, that's crazy. <laughs> wow. So that, I mean, yeah. that that's a hell of a compliment when you can have people that probably don't tip their uh, dip their toes into the uh, you know the prog pool, and all of a sudden they're listening to it. That's a huge compliment. That may, <laughs> probably more than what I'm saying because, it, admittedly, I'm a prog guy. So for me, this was like a ground ball. But for for somebody like that, that's uh, a bit of a stretch. So that's great to hear. Yeah, it, it was a, a goal in the the writing to try to make an album that that still kind of felt uh, accessible while being like a prog album and everything. Like we wanted it to be something that had a little something for everyone. Um, you know, that's it's got you know your heavier, chunkier riffs, but also has its like really weird, like whimsical moments. But also, like it was a it was an agreement that we had when writing it that not a single chorus on the album could suck. And of course, that's totally uh, no, th- totally subjective. But it meant that we, as as like avid music enjoyers ourselves, had to feel like that every chorus knocked it out of the ballpark. Like for us, at least. I, I think that that is what separates enjoyable albums from great albums when every single song can get stuck in your head for one reason or another the chorus often going uh a long way towards that and with this album i think you definitely achieved uh, you achieved that because there with every listen i think you're picking up new things but at the same time you find yourself humming certain things to yourself when you're 
by yourself and you say to yourself, I, I really shouldn't be singing out loud on a New York City subway, but that's what I find myself <laughs> doing from time to time. So I, I digress. I'll, I'll, I'll put that aside for, for a second. I, I want to ask you. That's not um, even talk- like in the top 25 of the weirdest things that would happen on a New York City subway. So <laughs> that is <laughs> true. Imagine. That is true. That was just today. So <laughs> um, talk to me a little bit about the story though. Let's, let's kind of just get into that. Can you walk the listeners and, and um, you don't have to reveal every nuance. I'm not looking you to, for, for spoilers necessarily, but can you just give an overview of what the listener can experience when they're kind of going through this album? Because what I think, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think that the story is pretty clear, but at the same time, I do think there's some stuff that's left up for interpretation. It's not like you're just holding the listener's hand and walking them through it. I do think there's a little introspection here that goes along with the album. Well, James, have have you heard my explanation of this enough times to be able to tackle it yourself? <laughs> so what happened was there's this guy, and then a thing happened, and then like some things happened to other guys, and then boom, it's done. That makes sense. I mean, that's kind of how I had it pegged. So this really just well, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah. thanks everybody for listening. This has been the Metal <laughs> Exchange. Uh, no spoon. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Yeah, I, I am not articulate enough to to retell the story. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, um, uh, essentially, so you've you've got your your protagonist who is a composer songwriter hey write what you know right um and he happens to live in this sort of like multi-family rental situation in a in a large house and his he's basically his inner struggle is he's trying to write the greatest work of his life um he's, he's trying to write his perfect piece of music obvious parallels here to what we've been trying to do um but he is sort of plagued with this sort of form of writer's block where he can hear it in his head, but he can't get it out onto a page. He can't play it out. It always sort of leaves him right at the moment that he's trying to actually get it out of his head and into a listenable format. So um, he's somewhat obsessed with that, just trying to find all these like different ways to try to to try to, to share it with people essentially. Um, and because of that, he's sort of like missing out on these, these other aspects of life. And so his world looks very gray, very hyper-focused on this one aspect of life. And that's essentially just the setting. That's, that's where the album begins. Uh, and then over the course of the, the next few or the, you know, the first few songs, um, some sort of striking events happen. Uh, another tenant of the house is found dead, um, seemingly murdered. Uh, and then there's there's relationships that he has to cope with with other people in the house. The daughter of the man who was murdered, um, a, another young woman who's about his age, who's like romantically inter- interested in him, but he's still obsessed with his music thing, his parents, he lives in the, in the house with his parents and they're sort of trying to encourage him to, you know, do more with his life. And, you know, get, uh, which, which I want to say is not quite a parallel. My parents have always been very supportive of, of me and my music endeavors. Um, but I know that is something that a lot of people can definitely relate to. Uh, sure. But 
you know, in spite of these sort of like relationship difficulties that he has with these, these other people that surround him, he remains ever focused on this one thing. And these people gradually start to sort of disappear out of his life, um, whether by further sort of mysterious deaths, as in the case of the, uh, the, the tenant at the beginning of the album, um, or simply just unexplained disappearances because uh, like they're by the middle of the album, his parents have also disappeared and we don't express in the lyrics how that happens. And that's on purpose. He doesn't know. He has been so utterly absorbed in what he's doing that he has completely blocked out anything that's happening outside of him and his own obsession. So you get to the middle of the album and he sort of realizes that he is now the only person left in this house in his life. And he, the only way out of that that he sees is just to push forward and to try to finish it. Um, eventually working on this art as, as can happen for, for a lot of us when we pursue perfection too much, the art slips away it ceases to become art. It begins to become much more technical, much more science than anything. Um, and then, n- not to go into like too much details or whatever, but some weird sci-fi shit happens, <laughs> and yeah. you start to get the the back half of the album is is almost a little more like two thousand one Space Odyssey, in, like very trippy in what's happening. He sort of meets like a future or like past version of himself or something who explains to him that the universe is sort of collapsing um, and that in order to sort of save the universe, they need or save reality or whatever he ne- they need to sort of send a, a message through to like the next version of him or uh, in the form of a dream that will help him to essentially stop being so obsessed, live his life, enjoy the relationships that he has with other people, which is, what happens at the end of the album, they end up sending this, this thought forward through in a dream to the next version who then uh, wakes up an hour earlier than, than he does at the beginning of the album. And he is able to begin to sort of write his relationships. And through that, he begins to actually live life. And that, that is sort of the missing piece to, writing the greatest work of his life is he actually needed to live his life while writing instead of obsessing. And then he's able to complete it. And the album ends on a happy note, even though we definitely thought about adding some sort of like fucked up twist at the end, we just decided, nah, let's just, let's, let's, uh, let's let it be a happy ending. So, um, was that sufficient detail wise? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that was, that, that was perfect. And I, I, I sincerely appreciate the time and the effort that you obviously put into it, but also explaining some of the points where I like, I think the back half of the album is really trippy. And I think that um, it makes for an interesting kind of story arc where you kind of think it's going in one direction and then it kind of just goes, whoop, like it <laughs> goes in a little bit of a different direction. But at the very end, it really just comes all together and it, you have that um, satisfying end to or the conclusion to, to what's otherwise one hell of a trip. Totally. There, there was, uh, I think, a point where I had considered that um, he was going to just be, like, uh, just condemned to repeat the same process over and over again. And that's why his 
older self was there to tell him like, all right, now you got to go back and do it again and do it right this time. But he was just destined to keep doing it wrong and get over. I mean, I guess that could have been a way of like changing it into a twist at the end or whatever, uh, instead of having the happy ending. It's like, Oh, it's just an endless cycle. But I think the way you describe it, it's not quite like that at the end of the day. I did consider like the, the mm. twist that I was considering um, that just didn't make it. Cause I mean, I'd probably have to throw on like another, we'd, we'd have to throw on another song onto the end and it's already a long album as it is. Um, mm. I think in my own sort of personal head canon, the, uh, the older version of himself who he meets later, that, uh, that, that older version, this isn't his first time interacting with the protagonist world that right. the first time is the older version of himself sort of breaking in and murdering Simpson to, which would start the, the events of the album. But, I don't totally know what all of the implications of that would be. Like, I, I don't want to say for sure that that's what happens and then open up the potential of a whole bunch of plot holes or whatever. But in my own sort of personal, like headcanon about it, like that could be sort of like the interesting twist. But, um, but I mean, that that's one of what we've come to, f- what we've come to find is, is one of like the bigger themes that has resonated with people is, is like the theme that is sort of expressed in within the realm of possibility that the older version of himself is telling him that like, you know, Hey, your, your, the greatest work of your life can be finished, but it's not going to be like, you aren't the version of you who's going to finish it. Um, you, you have to pass it down in order for it to, to get done. You have to let someone else do it. Um, and apparently that's like, we've, we've had, a few people talk to us and and tell us how that's like really resonated with them. Like I've had um, people, you know, like my parents age or whatever, telling me that like, that is a concept that we should not be able to know about because we're not old enough yet. (laughs) You know, we're, we're just here in our early thirties or whatever. We shouldn't know what it's like to, to feel like you have to pass on something to a, a younger generation. And yet, they they feel that we've been able to sort of distill that emotion into that particular song, um, which I think is really cool. And just another example of one of those like song meanings that like we didn't really intend to begin with, but can absolutely be interpreted from it. And yes, the Simpson in the story is Homer Simpson. In case you are wondering, <laughs> we talked to the creator to work that out. That, thank you, Matt Groening, for that uh, artistic <laughs> license. I actually made a I made a Homer Simpson joke on, in the previous episode, so I'm glad that we're on the same. Oh, goody! Oh no, I, I <laughs> we, we have a, a mutual uh, friend. He's the the lead singer in my other band called The Reticent. Um, and he was listening to the song, and he he told me afterwards that he legitimately thought it was about Homer Simpson, and he kind of like. <laughs> He, he he connected lo- like the dots that weren't there, and I think that's great. I think that means our mascot needs to be Homer Simpson. We have to make that work somehow. Make him make him. Oh, without a doubt, so that we can't get sued. I mean, <laughs> for for all of the uh, you know, like some people telling us like the the balls that we have for our debut album to be like this this massive like concept album. Can you imagine like the balls that would be required to write a debut concept album and be like, yeah, this is about Homer Simpson. <laughs> I mean, that's something I would do. That would be my story. 
Absolutely. But that's why they're only. I mean, I'm sold. (laughs) Do you have like a track or two that you would say is like the most um, either meaningful or the ones that you, I guess, are, are, are the happiest with? I'm sure you're very proud of the whole album as well. You should be, but is there one or two tracks that just completely stand out to you that, um, maybe you're looking forward to playing live or just something that kind of really like makes the hair on the arm stick up. Uh, for me, uh, I would have to say, uh, the house at the beginning, the last track. Um, cause I, as I mentioned earlier, it feels like a victory. Like it feels like my victory. Um, and I, I relate to those lyrics a lot. And, um, that was w- one of the songs that I probably had the most influence on. Yeah. Cause it's basically a reprise of the house at the end, um, which is, uh, something that I wrote, not the lyrics, but the, the music, um, though we did change one chord, so I can't take the credit for that. Um, <laughs> true. That one chord matters, man. <laughs> it does. Um, <laughs> it's what gives me the writing credit, <laughs> but, but, but there, there, there's something about the, about the house at the beginning that's just so uh, beautiful to me, um, and then one, once we get to like the, the the latter bit of it, where you know Phil is singing again, again, just like really does something to me. And then we have the the reprise yeah. of the intro of the overture afterwards to kind of tie it up. So that one means a lot to me, and within the realm means a lot to me because that was um the first time we wrote like a uh an epic uh track that i felt stood up to um the epic tracks that our favorite bands have written like haken dream theater genesis yes stuff like that um we tried once before in our other band to to do it, and uh, you know, it was, uh, it's hard to write an epic in the style of Nirvana, though, and all the grunge that you were listening to. So I can imagine it's a little bit, you know, a little bit yeah, different nowadays. Yeah, yeah, you can only play a power chord for so long, I think. Um, but you know, like I, I, I don't know, like I, I felt, I felt proud about how that one turned out. You know, like it made me feel like it made me feel like I wrote a masterpiece. I guess is the way I could put that. I'm. Um, I'm with you on uh, uh, House of the Beginning for sure. I, I think a big part of the reason why I like that one so much is actually like because of the the context of where it sits right there at the end of the album. It's like, um, and anyone who who has you know sat down and and watched the uh, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy all the way through in a in a big old marathon or whatever will know the feeling that you get during those last scenes after the ring has been destroyed and all of that stuff. And like everyone loves to make fun of the scene where Frodo wakes up in Rivendell and, and all of the fellowship F them. It is beautiful. <laughs> it makes me cry every single time. Well, well, by the time that you've gotten to the end of that, like all of the stress of like walking them, like trudge through Mordor and yeah. everything you've been through such like an emotional roller coaster that the end is the perfect release you you feel you really yep. feel that the characters deserve that ending and that's how the end of this album feels to me like i i've heard it i've heard it sometimes as a criticism and i'll i'll agree with it though it's not a bad thing for me um i've heard some people say that our album is very uh 
um, was very active and can be hard to listen to in long stretches just because, and I, I confess every song tends to have a fair amount of energy. Things do move fairly quickly. There is a lot of, uh, a lot of power in the parts and, uh, honestly, once again, kind of in the mix and that's, that's intentional. We, you know, wanted there to be that, that mix to hit hard. And because of that, yeah, it's, it can be hard to sit down and power through it all in one go if you're not ready for that um but i will say that makes the house of the beginning feel like that tremendous release that you feel like having been through this this emotional roller coaster that the the album takes you through of like i've i've heard someone say that like uh that that every song like you you feel like you need a you need to rest afterwards but but you can't make yourself do that. Like the, the tales the, of topographic oceans. The the, the guy that I'm, <laughs> that I'm uh, I, I can't remember who said it, but it, like I, I think it was a reviewer said something along the lines of like he he wants to take a rest after after every song, but he can't make himself do that because he needs to hear what comes next. And because of that, the house of the beginning really just you've you've gotten to the end of it it's like oh thank god like musically and lyrically <laughs> everything just feels like one big like yes i can kind of let this you know i can breathe again like i can i can release the tension in my shoulders um aside from that uh one of the songs that i'm probably the most excited to play live not necessarily the most obvious choice but uh and then there was one oh. is I mean, it's it's not the heaviest song, and I I definitely am inclined towards the heavier stuff personally. But that one I love because I'm I'm a big proponent of good flow in songwriting, like a song that feels like it very naturally flows from one section to the next. Not a big fan of any like uh, songwriting tools that feel jarring or like like you're sort of jumping unexpectedly from one thing to the next. I, I love for it to feel like a natural progression. And for me, and then there was one is just a masterclass in that. Like it just, it flows beautifully ramps up the energy from the start all the way to the finish and finishes with one of, in my opinion, one of the greatest guitar solos on the entire record. Like there's only a couple other ones that, that come really close for me, but this one is just one of those like, john petrucci-esque like sort of uh the spirit carries on kind of like so melodic and like the the guitar is singing there in that spot so are you implying that my other solos are trash totally yeah that's true yeah i didn't even play them (laughs) yeah so that's those are those are my picks uh which I guess is funny because that means I didn't pick one of the heavier ones. Which is yeah, I was, I was, I was expecting me. I was expecting earworm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're just scared of playing that one live. Maybe mm. so. <laughs> those well, those are great choices. Um, Ju- Justin had cho- we always do a song of the week for each album that we do. Justin chose uh, "Dance with Me." I chose uh, "Back Yet Forward," and um, you know I, I wanted to bring up. Uh, our friend Nops, he was the one who uh, introduced us to this album in the first place. So we have him to thank for bringing you guys to our attention. And he also uh, had said back yet forward was his track as well. And, and I got, I urge you guys to listen to at least the end of our 
episode our previous episode because we read a soliloquy that he sent to us um basically singing your praises uh how much he loves this album um but he he actually did uh let me know that he had a couple of questions he wanted to ask you guys and i kind of wanted to squeeze this in here before we talk a bit about live performances and prog power and whatnot but this kind of follows the uh the album discussion and the um the concept album discussion in particular um and and this question is as follows he he said with future releases do you guys plan to continue an overarching story or are you going to keep them as one-off stories or are you going to ditch the concept album uh you know arc altogether or Um, undecided at this point so uh <laughs> so <laughs> here's the thing <laughs> it uh it took us seven years to to make this right um we don't feel at the moment super inclined to make another concept album um at least for a while um we're kind of in the mindset of just doing whatever we want to do. We don't want to try to recreate Opus because I feel like when, when bands try to recreate one album over and over again, it just, it doesn't really work to try to stick to just one permutation of, of their sound. So that's where my head's at. Are we about to have an argument live? No. No. (laughs) Good. Yes, Check. here we go. One of our one of our famous. Bands. I quit. No. Uh, <laughs> no well, you heard it here first. <laughs> wow, an exclusive, right? Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think I'm 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 with you on this. I I think the sort of mentality that we're at right now is like we have very much sort of kept uh, like sort of as gruesome as of an image as this is. We've as we've been working on this album, been experiencing an amount of like creative constipation. <laughs> um, no, let's go into that for a second. Yeah. Describe no. what you're seeing in your um, head right now. It's just <laughs> the sort of thing where we're like, we have to finish this album. We, we have to get it out. We can't be yeah. distracted by new stuff. And so we've just had idea after idea be piling up and, it's it's kind of a really weird thing after that that first year or so of writing uh opus where we were just so <laughs> creative just writing like every single week and then we get to the point where we finished writing it and now we're working on essentially recording it over the next 6 years that it took um but not allowing ourselves to write anything new because we need to finish the previous thing um after that, we're, we're left in such a position of like, oh my god, we have so many song ideas. Like, we need to, we need, I, we need to get in there and and write, and we need to record, and we want to like have that experience again instead of just this this extensive period of like production that we've been in. Yeah, and I think yeah. because of that, and and also because like writing lyrics for a concept album is hard. <laughs> it's so so difficult to like try to cram in all the necessary stories or uh, details of a story into what is not a book. Like you don't have as many words as a book would grant you. Mm-hmm. So you have to try to do things in as like, you have to try to give away details in as succinct a way as possible. 
without being overly detailed. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's really hard. Plus you have to try to connect themes and everything, both lyrically and musically. And so men- like our mentality right now is definitely in a state of like, it would be really great to just write a one-off song right now. Um, right. And so our, our next album uh, of new music is definitely going to be an album of individual songs. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as whether we do another concept album in the future, or if we happen to do anything that is connected to, di- to this story in the future, it's something that's been suggested. Um, like we've, we haven't really like talked about it extensively, but someone brought up the idea of doing a series of sort of, sort of like story songs <coughs> about like some of the individual characters in the story, mm. not in the story, but either like prequel or, or, or like sequel kind of things. That's like a, like a tales from 42 Lakeview drive sort of thing. Um, but it's nothing that that's we've cool. like explored in, in great detail. Mostly, like I said, right now we're, we'd like to explore different, uh, lyrical topics and one-off songs so that we're not so focused on making and different ways of, 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 uh, writing the, the stuff that we've been writing. We've already started the next album has, has already sounded different than what we did on, on Opus. Um, we have, we're, we're currently writing a song that's like really intense and, and fast and, and angry because that day I ran over a tire and it ruined my car. So I needed to get that out. And, um, we're, we're playing around with like incorporating like hellbilly music into a thing. Uh, Cole is unsure about it, but we'll work it out. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Like we we just want to take the same approach we kind of took with Opus, where we were writing a concept album, but we still wanted to to write what would fit, but also what we what we wanted, not necessarily you know trying to stick to one particular sound or use a band for for inspiration or anything like that. We just wanted to do what we were inspired to do and that's that's the approach we're we're taking with this next album yeah so if uh nice. if your friend's question or or hope was that we will uh continue the story or do like more concept <laughs> album stuff um it's not a no it's a not right now mm. I'll say. I, I don't. I think he. Uh, I think he's good with whatever. I think he was just curious what direction you guys are are going in. I, I don't think he had a, a preference one way or the other, but I think he was just curious. And I guess I'll, I'll ask his second question. As long as we're uh, talking, um, you know, you kind of mentioned that on the second album that you're going to come out with that maybe you'll there'll be some influences maybe not heard on uh, musically on on Opus. Um, Nops wanted to know if you guys have any favorite non-metal uh, albums or bands um, that that particularly albums um, that might inspire you outside of you know the typical so, Haken and Dream Theater kind of you know yes. Uh, um, <laughs> this will sound like a joke, but I am dead serious when I say I absolutely love Philosophy of the World by the Shags. Have either of you two heard of the Shags? I cannot I say, say that I have. <laughs> oh, so look it up. What are they teaching you people? It, it is regarded as one of the worst albums of all time. 
long story short, it's kind of like the Jackson Five without the talent. And this dad put his his daughters into a band after they've been taking maybe like a month worth of uh, music lessons. And what transpires is probably the proggiest thing I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> unintentionally. <laughs> and Frank Zappa is is quoted by uh, he he said that uh, that he found the Shags to be better than the Beatles. So if that doesn't tell wow. you anything, I don't know what will. <laughs> so listen to it, you will understand, or you'll try to have me assassinated, one way or another. <laughs> the fact that there are people who have like had discussions about whether that album is genius or garbage. Is is a real testament to what what they had going. on. I listened to that album six times in a row on a road trip. That's 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 how much I love it. Um, but beyond that, um, I I'm really into uh, opera music, which is probably a, a weird thing to say, but I really enjoy opera, and that's that's kind of where some of my ideas for opus, you know, kind of came from. That that sort of writing style um geez what else uh i listen to a lot of 80s music i think both of us do we we have oh, a yeah. big soft spot for the 80s um, absolutely yeah and, you know i i, I listen to like a little bit of everything I, I really love southern rock i like some country i listen to a lot of fusion um it's kind of all over the place yes he has a much Keeps everything fresh he has a much wider music taste than I do. My music taste is so narrow. <laughs> it's just so so tragically narrow. It's Haken and Huey Lewis and the News. That's the only two bands. <laughs> no, I mean, I, um, they're, they're both very good bands. <laughs> That's yep. absolutely true. Like if you're going to listen to two, you know. Um, no, I I have my my sort of collection of of prog bands that I really like to listen to. You know, I. I've I've been a fan of Dream Theater's discography for uh for a really long time so I'm always happy to go back and listen to to one of theirs again. Um Haken, Periphery, uh Meshuggah. So uh, sort of the ones that you would expect. Um I guess but yeah, outside of metal, um I draw a lot of like musical influence from um animated movie scores. Um, cool. So, but especially ones from the late nineties and early two thousands, they captured mm. just magic in a bottle with some of those scores. Um, so from movies like, uh, treasure planet and Atlantis, the lost empire. And, uh, that, that one like Sinbad movie, that animated Sinbad movie. And like, just some of these, these animated films that like just had these incredible, very, like adventurous, heroic sounding scores. Anything by Hans Zimmer. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. Literally anything. Uh, John Williams, obviously. James Newton Howard. Uh, just some of these like movie composers. Danny Elfman, man. Danny Elfman, another one. He's one of my favorites. Um, so I, I draw a lot of like musical influence from that because the way that they go through different chords is often like very interesting. And that that sort of steps outside of your typical like oh let me find four chords that work well together and there's my section like the way that they modulate from one key to another is is something that's really uh, sounds very cool to me so um, I I take a lot of influence from that um, but I I confess I have actually found myself listening to like unfortunately a lot less of 
the the sort of like usual prog metal stuff and i think a lot of that comes from like the fact that i'm working on it now so like when i listen to a haken record or a periphery record or or something like that i i i put myself in the mindset of like oh i need to make sure that what we're currently working on sounds as good as this you know and so I will sort of stop in the middle of one of their songs and go and pull up one of our like demos that we're working on now and sort of I'll start a being again. And it's really hard to take myself out of that. And so um, honestly, the funniest thing is I've been listening to a lot of K-pop lately because my wife is into it. There you go. And I found a, a, a number of groups that have really like good songwriting and everything. And um that can be a fun thing to listen to sometimes because I never feel the need to compare my own stuff to that because it's so drastically different. But I will say, because influ- uh, influence and inspiration can be pulled from nearly anywhere, there are like chords and musical ideas that I've heard in some of that stuff that I'm like, that would be a cool thing to throw in one of our songs. So, nice. Um, yeah, it, it, inspiration can come from like some of the unlikeliest of places. <laughs> Yeah, no, no doubt about that. That's really, really interesting. Um, I'll shift gears in the interest of time to just looking ahead to to Prague Power in September. I would have to think it's probably the biggest show you've ever played. Have you guys done a live that like played in the live setting? I know you mentioned you know fifteen years ago or whatnot, but uh, is that something you've been doing recently? Is that something you've been looking into? And what can fans expect as we uh, get into next fall? Um, well, I think. For this band, Prog Power will be the biggest show that we've we've played. Um, funny enough, I actually played it last year uh, with with my other oh, band. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, which yeah. uh, was terrifying a little bit because oh. <laughs> I never played a show that big. I play in in tribute bands that you know we 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 play like opera houses and and stuff, but it's different when it's your own music and like you feel so vulnerable. sure up there um so i i i'm prepared for it the these other gentlemen maybe not be who knows um to have like all those people kind of just watching you intently um plus we're playing on a stacked day jesus christ we're playing with a bunch of bands that we've you know were influenced by circus maximus scar symmetry um leprous leprous um the uh, guitarist who's playing in uh, Dark Tranquility played in Andromeda, a uh, severely underrated. Oh, I loved Andromeda. Severely yeah. underrated. I, I wish they would just just get back together, do that thing again. You did. I'm years with you. Ago. Um, but yeah, for for us, that will be our 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 biggest show. As far as like playing live, um, we have yet to start the rehearsal stage. Um, we're trying to plan on doing that um, after the new year. Um, and then maybe play one or two local shows just to make sure that Prague Power isn't the first show that we play. I really don't want our first show as No Spoon to be Prague Power. I mean, like, it would be the <laughs> the hugest power move for sure. Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I want for our live show to do justice to the album. I, I don't yeah. want... <laughs> I I would really hate for us to wind up in a Dragon Force scenario, um, you know, where we come out and everyone's expecting to hear, you know, Opus live, and then we can't play it for whatever reason. 
Um, I don't want that to happen. I, I, I want, you know, people to be satisfied with what we do live. So yeah, we're, we're going to start rehearsals right after new year's. Um, just cause I mean, I'm, I'm in the process of moving. So that's, that's a whole thing. Right. And then, you know, we have the holidays and, and all that. And as he sort of mentioned, you know, we're, we're also like, we're working musicians. Like we both play in just like money bands and stuff too, at the same time. Sure. So that's obviously kind of a big thing around the holidays. So, um, but yeah, we're going to start rehearsals, uh, right after new year's. And, um, it is entirely our intention to play, um, likely just some local shows around Charlotte and North Carolina, maybe some of the surrounding States, um, as, as far as touring and stuff, obviously something that we want to do, we have no like solid plans about it yet. Just that it's something we want to do. Um, so we're still independent at this time, you know, we're, we're not signed. We've been approached by a couple, but like no, no deals that felt substantial enough to us. And, um, so it's gotta be something that feels worth it, you know? Um, but it's, is the working plan to play, to play Opus start to finish. And that would be the set or would it be like selections from Opus or, um, I know like, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was, I was going to ask like for, for prog power or just in general, uh, in general and prog power, I guess. Um, we haven't thought about that yet. I think we're mostly like, see most of our experience so far playing like our, this band playing live uh, under previous names and whatever has been, you know, your local Charlotte metal shows sort of showcase things where you've got like four bands on a bill. I don't think, sorry to interrupt. I don't think we've, the only time we've ever played like even an hour long set was for like a private birthday party. Remember that one in Mint Hill years and years and years ago. Yeah. And we, we just ended up playing the same songs over and over (laughs) and over again (laughs) in the cold November night. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think what's likely to be the case, um, at least for, uh, you know, sort of local shows or whatever, we're, we're preparing a variety of different set lists depending Mm -hmm. on the the length of time that we're given. We're currently sort of used to that thing where we get maybe, maybe 45 minutes or something like in some of these local showcases, in which case, like there's no way to, you know, jam the entire album into that, into that time. So you got to cut stuff out. So, um, but for sets like that, it's definitely going to be something a little bit more like selections from, um, plus, I mean, our, our hope with the new year is to not only put out, the new album that we've been working on, but we've also been re-recording some old material, like from one of those prior band names. Um, and we started recording that like in the middle of mixing uh, Opus. And so that's like almost mm. done sort of. Um, so we want to release that as well. And some of those are songs that we would, uh, that we would like to play. Too. At, at prog power. Um, I think as it stands currently where we have an hour. Yeah. Uh, so unless we're given like, 12 extra minutes we won't be playing the entire album unfortunately um oh, that'll be real disappointing to some people that'll be there yeah but <laughs> but we'll, we we will try our best to make it the best like non like full opus set that yeah. we can um 
just try to figure out like what which songs to, we can cut and yeah. and trying to not make it within the realm since it's the longest one. Yeah, we we kind of <laughs> have to play that one, I think. Yeah, I don't think we can show up to like the Prague Festival and not play our fifteen minute epic. We'll I just feel make like it, that would be a huge faux pas. We'll, we'll make it a medley. We'll we'll make the last three songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good um, luck finding something to cut. That's all well, I'll say. Well, Good actually, luck. here's here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk to Milton about this. We're going to do the entire <laughs> Opus uh, album. And then, um, as an encore, we're going to play uh, the song Octavarium. I think that will be a great plan. There you go. I think that's a great idea. I don't necessarily think he'll say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> so and now I backed us into a corner. And now we got on Octavarium. So, so what you're saying is it's a bribe. We'll tell Milton, hey, if we show up and we're willing to cover Octavarium, will you give us extra time? Well, I guess also all, all of Six Degrees. Both sides. My oh, mind's well. We're going to play a five-hour set. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like it. Uh, I'm sure Circus Maximus will be thrilled. Uh, but I, you know, I digress. Well, they're playing. They're playing the day before, so they'll be oh, fine with then it. You'll be, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it'll be all good. Um, well, before we uh, before we let you go, where can people find your uh, your music? I know that the CD is just about out if it isn't already, which is uh, I know happy for a lot of uh, older folks that are still buying. Uh, you know, have not moved fully digital at this point. But where can folks find you, and uh, where can they listen to your stuff? Uh, funny you mentioned that. Uh, we just received the CDs today. Ah, yep. there you go. I knew they were coming. I wasn't sure if they had actually made it to uh, made it out into people's hands yet. Yeah, we're we we've got uh, we we've got them in today, um, and I guess we're we're waiting until we set up like an online store. Although we could probably sell them on Bandcamp as well, which leads us to our, our album can be bought digitally Segways. on our our, uh, our Bandcamp page for sure. Currently, that is the only place where it can be purchased except for maybe like also itunes or, or or whatever um it can be streamed everywhere we we actually do have like a full stream video on our youtube account which a bunch of people are using to listen to which is you know totally fine though also of course consider uh you know purchasing a, a digital copy or uh yeah our the the cd's should be available pretty soon because we have them now. We just have to, like he said, set up a, a digital shop or somewhere, something where someone can uh, purchase it that way. Uh, we've we're we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and everywhere. MySpace, so, yeah, AOL. <laughs> um, where we have been sharing lately, we have been sharing like uh, some little clips and videos mm. from over the the course of our our recording process for Opus. So. Um, yeah, lots of lots of uh, behind the scenes, candid thingy bobbers. Yeah, you can see uh, lots of lots of footage of me and James both with hair. Yeah, so. <laughs> those were good times, <laughs> the best of times. Yeah. Um, and uh, we are still working out vinyl. Our our current plan is to uh do a Kickstarter, um, because you know vinyls really expensive like shockingly expensive as we found out so that's kind of our, our way to to go so be on the lookout for that 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 will be announced on our on our socials as well totally. have you guys gotten a lot of requests for the album to be put out on vinyl because i know that's literally people so live and die many. by that 
yeah so many yeah. requests for it to be on vinyl and me too I, I i listen to vinyl myself so uh selfishly i want two copies one to listen to and one to put on my wall mm. um nice. but yeah we've, we've we've gotten a lot of uh requests for it so um you know we provide i guess we'll try and when i would that, like uh, a copy of it on cassette is that something that you? Yeah, so God. we're going to do cassette. We're going to have eight track. Um, we do have uh, beeswax cylinders if, if you want that really classic sound. But you'll you'll need to buy ten of them because it takes ten to fit that entire album onto. Um, That's fine. I'm willing. I'm willing to go to that length to. Hell yeah. If if also you can record a concert and uh, on video and release it on Betamax, I would uh, greatly. <laughs> oh, we can do that. that. Beta video. Um, We'll we'll do it old laser school disc. Oh, laser disc, yes. Yeah, James <laughs> will run this bit into the ground. Oh yeah, I, I don't be know happy to join problem. you. <laughs> well, uh, the only other thing I would say is a lot of requests for T-shirts as well. So I look forward to seeing yeah. those in the web store yeah. when it goes live. We'll make sure to promote that uh, on the podcast so people can find it as everything goes live. And uh, gentlemen, we look. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us. We hope. Um, we, we, we know that the show is going to be uh, a tremendous success for you folks. And uh, maybe we'll do it again soon when the new album comes out. Absolutely. Love to. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate the, the time. And, uh, yeah, I echo what Justin said. We're super excited to see you guys live. This, uh, this album, really, at least in our small community, has been um, just widely received positively by everyone that's heard it and we've been trying to bring it to uh, as many people's attention as possible and that's why we chose to do a full uh, episode on the album and then have you guys come on to talk about it so um yeah we we hope that it means that even more people give it a listen because it truly deserves to be heard we're absolutely touched that everyone's enjoying it so much yeah All right. Great, guys. Uh, We'll catch in with you soon. Catch up with you soon. Cheers. Take care. Thanks.